Welcome back to the Breakside Podcast here for episode six. This is your ultimate destination for in-depth collegiate and professional Frisbee discussions and interviews. I'm your host, Garrett, here alongside my co-host. Hey there, guys. This is David. Welcome back. Pleasure to have you here. We have a really special guest here with us this evening. He is a professional ultimate Frisbee player who's originally from Michigan, where he attended Michigan State University, where he studied environmental engineering. He found Frisbee during his freshman year and played on MSU's B team, Riot Control, for two years and then on their A team. In 2018, he started playing in the AUDL with Detroit Mechanics and was with the team through 2022. He had the honor of representing the Mechanics in the 2022 AUDL All-Star Game. This season, he's now playing for the Chicago Union, where he has had a stellar season, helping the team to a current 5-3 record. A big welcome to Andrew Shogren. Thanks so much for being here, Andrew. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Excited for our discussion. Yeah, so Andrew, again, we were talking about this right before you came on, but you're the first professional player we've had on this podcast, so this is awesome. Thanks again for being on with us. And we've done a little bit of research on you, because obviously we haven't gotten to meet you in person before, nor see you play, but we know you're a great player from from what we've researched and from what we know. And we, we learned that you recently had a big moment in your career. You became just the second player in AUDL history to surpass 10,000 receiving yards. It's so awesome. It's incredible. And you've done this with a fantastic completion percentage in the high 90s in each season. So can you just describe to us what that moment was like for you to reach this amazing accomplishment? Yeah, it was really special to, to reach that 10,000-yard mark uh, receiving. It's not something that, that I've honestly really cared too much about personally, but uh, so, some of my teammates have recognized that it's sort of a big, a big milestone and kind of brought that to my attention and pointed out that I was getting close to that. And the people that have the high receiving yardage totals in the AUDL are some really good players. So to be kind of mentioned in the same name and this, in the same era as those players, it's pretty cool for me. That's awesome. And yeah, and for our listeners, 10,000 yards, that's a lot of yards. And I just thought about some of the catches that I've had in Frisbee. Like I've had some deep looks, I've gotten the shorts, but just to multiply that by so many, like you've had so many, you've had to have had so many good catches over the course of your career. So again, yeah, congrats on that. That is, that is so amazing. Did you ever think that this goal is attainable? I know you mentioned it's not something that's been the forefront of your mind. But even, say, two or three years ago when you're in Detroit, you first started out, is this something you ever thought you would be? Yardage wasn't a stat that the AUDL kept track of until 2021. So for my first couple of years in the league, there were no receiving yards or throwing yardage totals kept for any player whatsoever. So when I found that the league was going to start with the receiving yardage totals and throwing yardage totals in 2021... At that point, I was already sort of entrenched in my role as a deep continuation cutter. So I knew that I would rack up the yards, and that's kind of who I've been for my whole career. But now to realize that that was something that was actually going to be measured instead of just your, I guess, simpler stats of goals, assists, and blocks, it's definitely unique to have that kind of come in midway through my career. It just speaks to the evolution of the sport and how much more coverage there's going to be in the future and really just the ability that we have to analyze the game at a deeper level. Just incredible, especially like you said, it's only been a few years and you're already at the top of that stat. It's incredible. But currently, like you mentioned, you're playing for the union and you guys are sitting with a record of five and three. 
there are only a few games left in the regular season, and you just had this crazy momentous act of surpassing that 10,000 receiving yards. You guys are coming off of a several-game win streak here against Portland, against your former team as well. What kind of mindset do you have as an individual with just a few games left? We said at the beginning of the season that our goal for the Union this year was to win the Central Division and make it back to Championship Weekend. So that remains the goal now. We had a pretty tough start to our season with a, a couple of hard games in a row and really up through that second game against Indy, it was pretty tough. And then the, the schedule lightened up a little bit with playing Portland and Detroit and then facing Pittsburgh next after a bye week. So we were trying to rack up as many wins early on as we could and then hopefully kind of catch our stride towards the middle part of the season and then rack up some wins and push for a couple more wins late in the season. And ideally, we'd be hosting a playoff game with winning the regular season. But we'll see how that comes down the, the stretch here. But for us, our, our goals are still in front of us. We're still on track to make the playoffs if we take care of business here in the next few weeks. And th- then we can still accomplish our goal of making it back to championship weekend. And something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast is this idea of brotherhood and having good culture within a team. And it sounds like you guys have had a lot of success this season, especially as of late, you're on this win streak, which is great. And just talking about this group of guys and working together towards a common goal, would you mind just telling us about this brotherhood that exists within your guys' team and what's particularly special about this team that you're on this season? Yeah, you really can't beat the connections that you make with your teammates. You know, you practice, we practice once a week and then have pod workouts and we throw almost every day and we have games on the weekends. We're traveling or we're playing at home and then we have social events that we're doing and just getting to know all of the guys so much better off the field bonds that we make lead to better production on the field. So the more time that we spend with each other, the union, I'm obviously new on the team here, but there are other new players as, as well. But there's a core that's been around with the union for a couple of years now. So we're very welcoming of, of all the new players and really trying to get us brought up to speed with the way the union does things. And it's been pretty seamless transition for the most part off the field. And then on the field, like once we figured out how to play with each other, then it's starting to go a little bit better now than it was at the beginning of the season. But that's just the, the natural evolution of creating a new team, joining a new team. That's so true. The culture of a team is so dynamic in the success, right? If you're surrounded by guys that are going to work hard, good things will come, even if that takes a little bit of time to gel. But it sounds like you have hit that hit that stride now, which is really awesome. But something we mentioned, you know, just a couple couple minutes ago here is that you are an incredible lethal threat down the field, right? Your your receiving yards are just a testament to that. And you mentioned how just the last couple of years you really cemented yourself in that role as that deep cutter. But have you always played that? Have you have you ever wanted to dabble with handling or something? What's kind of your progression of the different roles you've had on the teams you played on? Like you said, I've pretty much always been in that role from when I start, started my freshman year. I was always one of the faster players. So when I was playing for the B team at Michigan State, we had more experienced players who could throw the disc and I was just willing to go run it down. And that was low level. So like people didn't care about turnovers and whatnot. And they just let it rip and I would go run it down. And that was kind of where I I got my start. And then my skill set as a person and as a player with the speed that I have, it just makes most sense for me to be down in that downfield attacking role. And it it probably has hindered me a little bit that I was never thrust into a throwing role early on in my career, because that's still something that I wouldn't say is a strength of mine. Although I am getting better all the time and, and more comfortable all the time with throwing the disc. 
but that's just, I, I think early on in my career, I realized that to get the most out of my playing ability, I needed to sort of specialize in the one role, which was cutting deep downfield, catching the disc. And then with my throws, I just wasn't going to try to do too much with it. You know, just look back for a handler, reset the disc, and then go make another cut and get the disc in the end zone. Do you ever wish that you had a little bit more of that skill set of a handler, or do you just like the thrill of chasing it down? I just like the thrill of chasing it down. Uh, there's something special when like you, you make two deep, like two steps on a deep cut, and then you see your handler put their hand back and, and give it a rip. It, it's pretty special. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. And I, it's funny when I started Ultimate Two, I started my freshman year at Ave, and I didn't have a throw whatsoever. And David can attest to this. I was, I was just there to solely get the 10, 15 yarders. Once in a while, I'd go deep, but I would dump like 95% of the time because the confidence just wasn't there. But thankfully, over time, I started to be able to throw a little bit. But it is funny you, you say that because it does remind me of my playing style. And I think that's just true of a lot of people when they first start playing ultimate, they're not overly confident with, with their downfield throws. So they rely so heavily on their handlers and they play within their skill set and their athletes. So you just know what you can do as an athlete and then you expand on that as a Frisbee player. So that's great. That's great to hear about your style. Yeah, uh, I think that possession is the most important thing in ultimate. So just limiting possession, however you can do that, is that's what helps the team win. And that's really what what I'm all about as a person is doing whatever it takes to help the team win. And for me, that that means go deep and then don't turn the disc over. So those are the two things that I try to do. You watch these teams play in national championships. For me and David, we were still at the college level this past season. And teams that seem to have the most success are the ones that limit their turnovers, because if you're not turning it over, then you're scoring and you're playing to a certain number. So as long as you beat the other team to that, you win the game. So definitely, definitely true there. Just talking about how important it is to limit turnovers and ultimate. It's so, so vital. Definitely. So, Andrew, doing some research about you here and you have a little bit of a nickname on the field. We found they call you the shrew. Can you tell us the story behind that? What's going on there? Okay, so my when when I got to college at Michigan State, the A team always gives out like spirit animal names. And in my freshman year, when I was on the B team, the sophomore captains of the B team decided that they wanted to give out spirit Pokemon names to the B team players. And now I'm not really a Pokemon fan, and I never really played growing up, so the references kind of go over my head. But I think. And this is what I think happened. So my name is Andrew, of course, and my last name is Shogren, starts with an S. And the Pokemon name they gave me was Sandshrew. And again, I don't know if that was based on like how I played or just Andrew sounds like Sandshrew, but that was the name that they gave me. And so people started calling me Sandshrew and then some people eventually shortened that to Shrew. And then I got to the A team my junior year. And at that point, everyone only called me Shrew anyways, so it made sense to give me the animal nickname of the Shrew. That's funny. And it's only it's only one syllable, too, which is nice, whereas Andrew, it takes a little bit longer to say that. So I imagine when you're on the field, you're communicating with your guys, just saying, Shrew, go deep, Shrew, go deep. That probably is a little bit easier for them. That's awesome. But now, yeah, looking at your your career with the mechanics, with your, with your former team, we were doing some research on you, and we, we saw that... Back in 2018, when you when you started with them, you played in four games and you kind of over time became you kind of grew into your role. Like you started you played in more and more games throughout each season and your stats clearly show that you worked hard. You put in the time. But that Detroit team that you played on, you guys struggled to win games. You must have been playing against some stiff competition. So 
what is it that really kept you locked in during that time and just helped you to continue to persevere despite the fact that the organization, the team wasn't winning games? I think I have a spirit where I just want to always get better at whatever I'm doing. And I don't like if I'm not meeting the expectations of a certain level. So for me, when I I was playing for the mechanics early on, we weren't winning games and I wanted to do everything I could to change that, right? So the mechanics gave me my my first taste of professional ultimate in 2018, and and that was really the first high-level ultimate that I had played. You know, there's high-level club teams as well, but it's not always easy to make those teams either. So playing a a few games in in the the semi-pro league sort of helped me experience what higher-level ultimate was. And then once I got that first taste, I realized that I wanted to devote a lot more time to become a really good player at the highest level. Yeah, that's, I imagine just thinking about that, how daunting it is to go winless over and over again. I think so many people would respond to that in just discouragement, and I think a lot of people would quit. I think it's a it's a clear testament to your character. And like you mentioned, you're working, you're working so hard during these years to get better and better. And that didn't necessarily pay off in a win for the team, but in 2022, you had such the honor of making the AUDL all-star team, which is such a feat. You know, the best players from across the league are together. Tell us about that. All this hard work pays off on the individual level, but what was it like being named to that all-star team? Yeah, it was uh, really pretty incredible for me to be out there on the field with all of those all-stars at the all-star game in Portland last year. It's something that I've been striving to for the past, I don't know, five, six years, just to be on the field with all those incredible players and just get to learn so much and show what I have against the best of the best too. It was absolutely incredible just to be at, like flown out to Portland and then playing in the game at the Portland Timbers MLS soccer stadium. So it's a big, I don't know how many it is, but maybe 20,000 or so. It, they, obviously they didn't fill it for the all-star game, but it was still a, a pretty neat experience to like use those same locker rooms and then run out onto the field with a bunch of fans there to watch some good ultimate with the best players in the world. And losing losing's hard, no matter what sport it is, no matter what you're doing. I don't really know of anybody who likes to lose, but for you to just continue to persevere and then to just get to have that moment, you were just describing like going to Oregon, playing in that all-star game. That's so great. Again, the fact that you persevered through that and eventually you started to win. You've been winning a lot recently, but we found that on May 27th, you got your first professional win. I guess you played the the Madison Radicals. And this was your 39th professional game. It was your first win. Can you tell us about that feeling of getting your first win in the professional leagues? Yeah, it was pretty special. It was one of those things where, like you said, I'd played 39 games and then switched teams to to, to play for the union. And just to, to finally have sort of that release of knowing that I, I wasn't walking off the field with a loss and walking off the field instead with a victory, it was a lot of time and, and energy and effort that went into that. And it was kind of just a big payoff at the end of a long journey. I, th- I think that moment was a really awesome moment of the, te- of the testament to the brotherhood you guys have, that culture you have on the current team. There's a really awesome video out there. You're talking to the news reporter and they just come up and dump a big bucket of water on you. And those guys are there celebrating your moment just as much as it was their moment and uplifting you and encouraging you. And I thought that was incredible. But we've talked a lot so far about your professional career, but this all began at MSU when you first had your taste of Ultimate on their B team, your freshman year. 
you've received a lot of different accolades. You've played for really good teams. But take us back to, to how this all started. What was your first taste of Ultimate like back then? Yeah, uh, I honestly don't have don't remember too many details, but I'm pretty sure I showed up to my first tryout with tennis shoes and didn't have cleats at the time. So probably a couple weeks later, I got that. And I remember like the A-team captains and coaches were interested in looking at me for a, a potential role on the A-team just because I was faster than most of the people that were out there. But I was actually pretty short when I first got to college. I didn't have a big growth spurt in high school like most people did. So I showed up to college and I was probably about 5'4". And then every year throughout college, I grew about two inches. So my freshman year, I was about 5'4", then 5'6", then 5'8", then 5'10", 5'11", which is where I am now. So I think that was definitely one of the reasons that I didn't make the A-team early on was I had the athleticism and I had the speed, but I didn't have the height to win a lot of the matchups, especially with my lack of Frisbee background. Wow, that's amazing how you had that that late growth spurt. That's so fun. And I, I um, you're you're talking about your your initial tryout, how you showed up with with sneakers, and I actually did the same thing. I didn't even know that frisbee players wore cleats. I was like, oh yeah, I got sneakers. This will work great. And I remember my my first few practices just slipping and sliding all over the place. And I realized, okay, I, I guess I better invest in some cleats. I guess these are these are pretty important. But I'm just curious. This just came to my mind. Which which cleats do you wear? And and why do you why do you represent that particular brand? So I actually switched over to the Toke Ultimate cleats a couple of years ago. I think my first year in the AUDL, the Universe Point cleats gave free cleats to everybody in the AUDL that were like branded for the team, and that was my first taste of I guess the cleats that are designed for ultimate players. And then I believe UP is no longer around, but Toke has sort of stepped into the ultimate cleat market. And I like Tokes a lot more than I liked UP. I thought the UP cleats were a little bit stiff and very hard to wear. Whereas the the Toke, I can take them out of the box and put them on right away and there's no breaking in period. They're pretty lightweight and they work. Do you find yourself going through a lot of cleats? Like how often are you getting yourself a new pair? But I I have a terrible habit. I, I buy pretty cheap cleats and then I rip through them pretty quickly. <laughs> I, you, I did that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the tokes, uh, I, I know some people have problems with the, durab- with the durability, but that's not something that I've really had any problems with. I think the insoles go faster than the, the cleats themselves. And I play a lot. I, I play probably four or five days a week in my cleats. So I, I can make it probably about half a season, half of a summer with a set of cleats, which to me seems pretty good for playing four or five times a week. And it's yeah. nice when you don't have to spend additional money. That's always nice <laughs> when you can just save what you have. That's great. And something else you were talking about there is height. And you started off, you said you were five, four your freshman year, and you kind of just kept growing throughout college, which is amazing. And and just something too, I'm, I'm pretty short myself. I think I'm five, eight, maybe five, nine on a good day. But to be a good frisbee player, you don't necessarily have to be six foot. You don't have to be above six foot. You can be smaller. And I played, David and I played against a lot of guys who are shorter, like on our Ave team. We've got a few short guys. And so it is fun to be involved with a sport where it doesn't matter if you're short, it doesn't matter if you're tall. Obviously, it's advantageous to be taller, especially as a handler, because you can 
throw around people more easily. You can sky people more easily. But you'll notice that those shorter guys are pretty good at working the middle and making those quick cuts. So that's why just something about ultimate that makes it so inclusive. The fact that it doesn't matter whether you're super tall or maybe you're not so tall, you can still play regardless. So that's yeah, absolutely. There's so about. many different ways that you can make a difference on the ultimate field, no matter kind of what height you have, you know, some of the shorter players just become incredible throwers or incredible like handler defenders. And that's where they make their living because they might not have the advantages to work downfield as much. Definitely. So, Andrew, Garrett and I, we just finished our senior season at Ave Maria University. And, you know, we've described that season as being electric. It's a great time filled with so many incredible memories, hanging out with those guys, those games, and just working hard. Could you share a highlight or two of what your college experience was like when it came to Ultimate Frisbee? Probably the, the biggest win that we had at Michigan State was my senior year. We went into sectionals. And we played against the University of Michigan Magnum team. And they've historically been a very strong program. They were coming off of a Nationals appearance the year before. And they were ranked highly in 2018 as well, which was my senior year. And it was, we have a small section, just the the Michigan college teams. So there was like Michigan State, Michigan, Grand Valley, Western Michigan, and Eastern Michigan. And we basically just have a semifinals, then right into the the finals. And we had, I think, three bids to regionals. So uh, we, like, as Michigan State, we were not concerned that we wouldn't qualify for regionals. It was just kind of a, a matter of, you know, checking the boxes and like we'd get our matchup with Michigan and, and see what we could do. And sure enough, we we went into that game and the, the weather was just absolutely terrible. And maybe they'll use that as as an excuse, but we came down universe point game and we received on universe and got the win with this throw that went into the end zone and. It felt like there were like six or seven different players just sort of like hovering around the disc and who was going to come down with it and ended up being one of our guys. So that was definitely a very memorable win for us. Yeah, there's nothing like universe point two. For our audience members who are unfamiliar with that term, that's when the two teams are tied. Let's say it's 10 to 10. And it just means that if the game's going to 11 in this situation, whoever scores next wins. So what Andrew was describing there was nice. The fact that Michigan State was receiving the disc at 10-10 because then they were able to go down and make a great play and win 11-10. That's awesome to hear. But we've gone through the course of your career and you've had ups and downs like like any great athlete. You're, you know, you're bound to have some good times, some bad times for sure. But we want to know what is it that really draws you to the sport of ultimate? Like clearly you're a great athlete. I'm sure you could play you know, a bunch of sports, but why ultimate? What is it about this sport that really takes you? That's a tough question for me to answer because really I sort of feel like it's everything that the sport encompasses. You know, I think it fits my athletic repertoire very well. And I think it's a sport where there's a reasonably low bar to becoming pretty good at the sport. So I guess I saw a path relatively early on where I could reach higher levels of the sport. And that was something that definitely appealed to me. And then I think. You know, sometimes people talk about like the watching a disc in flight and the kind of the magic of it and people laugh about it and I laugh about it too. But at the same time, it is pretty special for me sort of just to see that disc go up in the air. Like Maybe there's a sunset behind the disc or there's a little bit of a breeze going and it, it like flutters up and down and you're just able to like run onto it. And I, I think that's a really cool moment. 
that's so special and that, that thrill especially in your role right you're you're seeing that a lot i think it's very understandable why that continuously draws you back but you're obviously talented right we've said that several times here your record your stats your accolades show that but i think sometimes maybe at certain times in a person's life and the image of another person can be falsified or or inflated at the end of your career what would you want your legacy to look like what would you want people to remember about Andrew? I think that I would want people to recognize the work that I put in and understand that if you work hard off the field and on the field, then you can accomplish many of your goals. That's something that when I first started playing on the club team machine this past summer, and then I'm, I'm playing again this year, was I, I didn't come on as one of the guys on the team. I, I came in as just somebody who was going to play a lesser role. And in that lesser role, I recognized that I had to work super hard to prove that I belonged on the field. And that's what I did last year. And that's what I'm going to do this year. And that's what I'm going to do every year for the rest of my career is uh, just continue working hard to push the people around me. Because if I make the reps in practice harder than a game, then that makes us just so much better for whatever challenges we come across in tournaments. And something that's funny about Ultimate, people will see you thrown at disc ground and they're like, oh, I can do that too. And they kind of just think they'll naturally be able to throw a flick right away or they'll be able to throw a backhand into the wind right away. But it does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of hard work. And I do think for people who haven't played the sport of Ultimate, it might be harder for them just to kind of imagine what you've gone through, Andrew, and me and David went through in college and the sense of just that time that's necessary to really master your craft because it is it's really a craft and the wind changes every day the teams change every game and it's always just these different circumstances so hard work obviously super important it's what makes great players it's what made you a great player and something too we've talked about your career at michigan state and we're curious if you had to just share one piece of advice to someone who is looking to play professional frisbee what would you tell them to do and why? I think that, well, my, my number one is just always work harder than the person you're matched up with. If, if I were to give a, a second piece of advice, I would say to reach higher levels of ultimate, I think the easiest path to doing that is becoming specialized in a role and doing that better than anybody else at the tryout. So for me, that involves, you know, cutting deep, catching hucks resetting the disc, not turning the disc over. But, you know, th there are so many different roles that different teams are looking for. You, you know, some teams are looking for just that super reliable reset handler who can hit break throws and reliably get open for the center handler if, like, things stall downfield. Or some people need the, uh, like, some teams need the continuation throwers who maybe catch unders and then look to attack downfield with the, the longer huck throws. And some teams just need, a player to come in and just be a lockdown defender and just completely shut out anybody that's trying to get the disc. You know, uh, it doesn't matter necessarily what that role is, but just finding that role that you think you can succeed in and showing that you can do that at the tryout. And it's and I like how you use that word specialization because we, on our team that David and I played on, we definitely had guys who were meant for certain roles. Like one of our friends, Joe Cox, was our best handler defender. So when it came to playing against Barry in the regionals championship, his sole job was to guard Colin Hill, which was the hardest role 
that anybody could have. And it, he was so selfless in doing that because, as we know, defense is incredibly difficult in the sport of ultimate. But we've talked a lot about Frisbee, and we're just curious, what, what else do you, Andrew, like to do outside of Frisbee? What are your hobbies? How else do you fill your time? So with all the Frisbee I play, there's not a ton of free time left over. But I guess a couple of other things that I like to do is, uh, number one, I like to watch sports a lot. So uh, I watch football and basketball and pretty much any other sport that comes on. I play in fantasy football and basketball leagues, just really kind of dive into the, the whole sports culture and just really enjoy spending my time doing that and talking about that with my friends. Right. And playing Frisbee, like you're saying, it's it's your job. It's what you do. But do you have is it do you have to work another job or do you just kind of is playing ultimate? Is that just what you do and it works for you? Oh, no, I definitely have another job. <laughs> Those people that are true professional athletes in ultimate are very few and far between. I think maybe there's only sort of a couple that do it and maybe that's not even year round and that's just for the season. But no, I definitely have another job. I am a civil engineer during the day, so. I still have my, my day job, 40 hours a week, and then jump over to Ultimate after that. Wow. How do you stay mentally sharp for that? That takes so much perseverance and endurance. You're working 40 hours a week, and then you got to go grind and push your body out. How do you push yourself through that? Uh, love of the game <laughs> is the simple answer. You know, that's uh, Ultimate was something that I chose to sort of fill that the, the time that I have in my evenings and weekends and whatnot. So just wanting to get as good as I can at ultimate and recognizing that the way to do that is spending a lot of time during the weeks and during the weekends. That's just what I chose that I wanted to do with my life. So here we are. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. As we kind of come to the close of our interview, I just wanted to open it up to the floor. And is there anything else you'd like to say, like to share? I don't think so. I think I'm all good. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Andrew. Absolute pleasure. Uh, you are our first professional Frisbee player on this podcast, so it's really special for us to have you here, and especially an accomplished athlete that you are. So to all of our audience members, make sure you go check out Andrew Andrew Shogren on Instagram, along with his team, the Chicago Union, so you can see what they're up to over the next couple weeks as they look to close out their season. And yeah, just going off what David just said, Andrew, yeah, thanks so much for for being with us, for, for giving your time. We're surprised you're not playing Frisbee right now. <laughs> no, but obviously we're talking about Frisbee and it was a lot of fun. So yes, just want to give a shout out to the Ave Maria Instagram at Ave Maria Ultimate. Also check me and David out at the Breakside Instagram at Breakside underscore podcast and our Twitter at Breakside underscore pod. And that brings us to the end of our sixth episode of the Breakside podcast. This is Garrett, David, and Andrew coming to you live from, well, just me coming to you live from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great night.